Uh, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Do you have a joke? <laughs> I can't believe you're making me tell a joke. I'm the worst joke teller ever. Okay, I'm going to tell you Jasper's favorite joke. My okay. 10-year-old's favorite joke is, giraffe walks into a bar, says, highballs on me. <laughs> 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 my favorite part about that joke is that uh, it's a 10-year-old's favorite joke, and it's kind of crude, and I like that he tells it to people, and they're like, hmm, should you be telling this? I mean, I think 10-year-old boys are, are allowed to tell crude jokes. That doesn't surprise me. I'm, like, more surprised that he knows what a highball is. <laughs> He's my child. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is the Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert. So about a thousand years ago, or like nine years ago, I worked at a newspaper in Yellowknife for a few months. And for part of that time, I was on the court beat covering for the usual reporter who was, I don't know, on vacation or something. And just in the couple weeks that I was on that beat, I was amazed. The courthouse, even in a small place like Yellowknife, is where high-stakes judgments are made that not only change people's lives, but also give kind of a glimpse into the values of the society it represents. Because, you know, we can throw around noble rhetoric about equality before law and justice and whatever, but how that actually happens in practice is, I think, a better reflection of who we, the collective we, really are. My guest today is Megan Grant, court reporter for CBC Calgary. I wanted to talk to her about what it's like covering courts and crime in a city like Calgary, and how someone on that beat manages the intense emotions and trauma just swirling around constantly in courtrooms. Uh, remember, court reporters often get to see and hear much more than they are allowed to report, and a lot of that stuff can be deeply disturbing. Some of those things from my brief stint covering courts still stick with me, so I can't imagine doing that job for years and years. Um, anyway, Meg is a seriously good reporter and a friend, and we had a great conversation. Just before we get to it, hey, hi, look, I really appreciate you listening to this show. Maybe this is your first episode, maybe you've been down with this for a while, but if you like what you hear, the biggest thing you can do to help me out and show your support is to tell people about it. And the easiest way to do that is on social media. Just a quick post, quick share, hit the tweeter, hit the gram, let people know that the show exists and that you are enjoying it. All the social media accounts for the show are in the show notes and on the website, thecalgarian.ca. You'll also find a link on the website to the Patreon account in case you, you know, want to show your support with uh, a buck or two. Uh, thank you for your support much obliged. And now, here is my conversation with Megan Grant. I tried to make coffee two days ago, and it came out as hot water. Did you forget to put the coffee in? <laughs> no, I have this new fancy coffee machine, and the, it grinds the beans for you, but the beans got jammed. The beans got jammed, but it grinds the beans. Like, how does it get jammed? I don't, I don't know. This shit only happens to me. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm like, I'm just going to get Tim Hortons coffee. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Stop judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm just, I'm trying to understand you. 
Um, okay, so you have um, you are court reporter for CBC. You have been for several years. I think you have been with CBC for your almost your entire career. Yeah. But you're not from Calgary, no. so I thought maybe we could start with uh, how did you end up here and how did you end up covering court? So I finished my journalism degree in Halifax, and then I worked for about a year for a really small video production company. And then I decided that I wanted to move somewhere in Canada that I hadn't lived before. And uh, so I started like poking around and making cold calls and seeing if there were any journalism jobs open. And one of the phone calls I made was to uh, Kenley McCoyolo at CBC Calgary, who was working on Newsworld at the time. So back in 2008, Calgary produced two hours a day of Newsworld, which is news ne- CBC's news network. And so um, I booked my trip out to Calgary, not knowing if I was going to have a job or not, but I took the train. So I did the cross Canada, like Halifax to Vancouver and then back to Edmonton. And then I uh, drove down to Calgary. And so by the first stop on the train somewhere in New Brunswick, I had gotten a call from Kenley McQuillo. He had called me back and he said, okay, I can give you two weeks of work starting this date. And it was like the day after I was set to, I was taking a few weeks to, you know, make my way across Canada on the train. And it was the day after I was going to arrive in Calgary. And I was like, great. It's like, I think, an Easter Monday. Yeah, so I, I got to Calgary. I started working for News World as a Chase producer, chasing interviews and writing greens and uh, prepping scripts for the host. And two weeks after I got here and started working for News World, everybody at Calgary News World got laid off, and they had made the decision to produce all of it out of Toronto. It was like, you know, I knew tons of people from the Maritimes who moved to Alberta for work. There was supposed to be tons of work. And I was like, leave it to me to pick the one career where you get laid off in two weeks, which obviously now has become more common. But back then it was like, can I swear? Yeah, you can swear. It's fine. Motherfucker. (laughs) What am I going to do now? So that's how I got to Calgary. And so then what happened? You, You obviously didn't get laid off. Well, I wasn't laid off because I was just casual, you know, contract. And so we uh, ran News World for another two months before it fully went away. And Ken was like, screw it. Like, they're getting rid of us. Like, I'll just give you this two-month contract. You can stay until it's done. And then um, and then I started working as a casual um, on CBC's radio current affairs shows. So, like, the morning show, The Eye Opener. Um, what's now known as Albert at Noon and the Home Stretch. I did that for a long time. Um, there was I was pregnant at one point and like really needed as many hours as I could possibly get at CBC. And so they gave me this job at one point. I was um, working in the music library back when we had a music library, which is a really cool place, and scraping labels off CDs and relabeling them. <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> yeah like like old labels that they had put on yeah like like all the cds needed to be relabeled so they gave me that job that sounds like so much fun it was well it was awful and awesome so it meant that i was in the building every day so if there was like a last minute somebody called in sick i'd be the first person that would get to backfill them mm-hmm. also i got to go in there so I worked in this little room inside the music library and there was a record player in it. And so I would get to go into the back room 
of the music library and grab a bunch of records and just play records and like do my little label scraping. <laughs> this this is what you went to journalism school for. Yeah. No, this is like why journalism keeps you humble, right? Like I tell this, whenever I do guest lectures, I tell this story to the students. So I'm like, listen, you are going to have to do shit that feels like it's beneath you, but it's not beneath you. And like, keep your head in the game. Yeah, I feel you like know? it's probably even more true for those kids yeah. going into journalism today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so how did you then end up covering court? How long did that take? Okay, so... Then I did a little bit of a mat leave, and then I came back, and then I moved from doing current affairs backfill. They gave me um, somebody else's mat leave contract in news. And so I moved into the newsroom, became a reporter, focused on radio, then got another mat leave contract, then sort of moved more to the TV side. And then I was one of the first people that was um, taking my stories, my broadcast stories, and writing them for online as well, instead of handing my scripts over to an online writer who would sort of repurpose it. And a couple things happened. So I realized that I really loved covering crime. And so I would come in early, really early for my shifts so that if any crime happened overnight, that I would get dispatched to the crime scene. So that worked out well. And then through that, I also ended up, you know, you follow some through to the court process. And um, there was one trial it was the Bolsa triple murder trial, and the judge had this sort of pre-meeting with members of the media, you know, talking about exhibits and how things would roll out and the fact that there'd be, you know, assigned seating for us. And I was like, this sounds amazing. I want to cover every day of this. This sounds super cool. There was going to be like gang experts and firearms experts and civilian witnesses. And I was like, this is cool. This sounds cool. So I went back to uh, one of our managers at the time. And I was like, can I cover every day of this? And he said, yes. And then I like totally fell in love with court reporting. And so then I started like keeping a really good diary of what interesting court cases were coming up and like constantly pitching, you know, going to court and still doing my like crime scene thing too <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so, and then I just started like calling myself the court and crime reporter and then everybody else did too and I'm like yes I made it work it stuck you just gave yourself that title yeah I totally did and now it's on my business card so it's official we're uncovering the myth of Megan Grant here <laughs> yeah I'm a hustler <laughs> um what was it about crime and courts that that you fell in love with um that sounds bad covering crime <laughs> Yeah, don't make me sound like a monster. Uh, I mean, I, you probably have excellent connections if you ever wanted to uh, turn to a life of crime. <laughs> yeah, I might be pretty good at it. Anyway, um, I just like how intense and real it is. And every time somebody talks to me, like uh, a witness or a family member of a murder victim, like anytime somebody like that lets you in their life, it's... It's just so intense. It's such an honor. I love the pressure of, you know, there was trying to do justice to this person's story. You know, like you never know what you're going to get in general assignment. And I love general assignment for different reasons. But I just love the intensity and the realness of court and crime, you know? Yeah, there's, there's a real human element and the stakes are very high. The stakes are so high. Like I, 
I'm sort of addicted to life, life's highs anyway. And this is kind of one of those things, right? It's like, there's nothing like the feeling of sitting in a courtroom with a jury who's been out for two days, coming back, about to read a verdict of guilty or not guilty. And like you said, the stakes are so high. Like there's the accused, there's the normally the victim's family members, you know, and you can see these jurors have been crying often and it's just so intense. Like, what a feeling. Who gets to feel that a few times a year, you know? I think um, covering covering the justice system at any level, any, any level of justice system can really re- reveal a lot and tell you a lot about the si- society that it reflects. But I know that can also be very emotionally exhausting because the stakes are so high, because there's such intense human drama playing out and it's sometimes literally life or death or there's a lot of trauma i'm wondering about how long so i can't remember when the balsa murders were how long have you been covering court now on a regular basis probably like seven years maybe so seven years is a long time to be doing this um how how do you how do you manage that uh, do you find it emotionally stressful does it like wear on you after a while yeah so i get asked this question a lot so I find um, there are certain cases that'll get to you or get under your skin or that you'll take home with you, but you never know what they're going to be. It's not necessarily what people would guess. It's not necessarily the worst triple murder I've ever seen, right? It's normally there's some kind of, I don't know, there's something, there's maybe three cases that I've sort of taken home and that have really gotten to me and I've had to make some like efforts to kind of deal with what I've heard or what I've seen. Um, Like, I don't want to give too many details, but on one of them, um, a mom was accused of killing her kid, but had diarized everything, including him begging her to stop hurting him. And that really, like, that was the first one that really, uh, I couldn't get it out of my head. I'd be like driving down Crowchild and thinking about this kid. And he ended up with essentially a very painful uh, locked in syndrome where his brain was fine, but he couldn't move anything in his body and he had constant painful seizures. And so I was just like very tormented by that case for a while. Um, I'm just telling you about cases now, but you asked, what do I do? That's fine. You can keep going. That's fine. (laughs) I'm interested in those three that, uh, that, that really stuck with you. You don't have to say too much about them if you don't want to. Yeah. Well, I just, um, like that one that I was just telling you about, like it, I don't like to tell people about it because I don't like to share it's so awful that I don't like to put that in people's brains. Um, what are the other ones? Uh, the Alex Rodita murder really stuck with me. Um, this is a 15-year-old kid who had diabetes, and his parents essentially refused to treat his diabetes. He was taken away from them at one point, so they absolutely knew what they had to do, and they just wouldn't give him insulin. And this kid lived way longer than he should have he weighed like 37 pounds when he died at 15 and the photos of his body like I will never get those out of my head I remember a homicide detective saying to me like this will steal part of your soul like make a very conscious decision whether you want to see these photos or not and I don't regret looking at them but it's definitely like seared into my brain forever like this was the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life um And I think if I had to identify what gets to me, it would be um, children who feel 
like a profound sense of loneliness because the people who are supposed to take care of them for a long time don't, or they're very aware that they're actively trying to hurt them, you know? Do you think, do you think, um, do you think that's connected in any way to you being a mother? Yeah, I've wondered that. I don't know. Maybe. Because I've only been doing this as a mother, you know? So I can't say, well, before this didn't bother me and now it does. So I don't know. Maybe. Probably. So I want to talk a little bit about, like, the actual job of covering court because the ins and outs of it are not easy. You have, you have to, there's a lot of inside baseball. There's a lot of understanding how the system works. Um, and you, you said before that you like would keep a diary of interesting cases that are coming up. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you still do that, but you, I'm, I know that you like are aware of things that are coming up in the court schedules and things like that. So can you talk a little bit about like what the day-to-day life of a court reporter is? Like the calendar stuff? Like how do I keep track of what's going on? Yeah, but also like it's uh, it's more than just like knowing it. Part of it, a big part of it, is obviously like knowing and deciding which cases to cover, when to be in which courtroom. But also like how to uh, find files on people, how to like how to actually do the job and get the information. Yeah. So the I mean, pulling court documents. You know, when there's a big breaking crime story uh, in Calgary, that's sort of where I'm still involved in the crime side of things where, you know, we'll get an address or we'll get a name and I'll start digging through, see if there's lawsuits or emergency, emergency protection orders or divorce documents that can give us like a glimpse into this person who's, you know, say just been charged with murder or whatever. So that's kind of the fun part too, is that's when it gets to be more of sort of a team effort and I get to work with people back at actual CBC instead of just like lawyers all the time (laughs) but yeah like the other thing is I get dockets every day I go through a docket like I go through a provincial court daily docket every day QB daily docket a QB weekly docket two QB weekly dockets but what what's really helpful is you know when you do the same job and you're around the same people all the time like you build those connections and relationships. And so um, a really important part of what I do is the relationships I have with lawyers who, you know, you'll be like, what do you have going on today? And they might tell you something interesting is happening that you didn't know about, right? So, or they'll, you know, some will come by the media room at the courthouse and give us a heads up about what's going on. Or, you know, when I'm trying to cover multiple court cases on the same day and I can only be in one place at one time, lawyers are really great about saying, okay, well, I'm doing a guilty plea at two. I know you can't be there, but here's the agreed statement of facts. We're going with a joint submission. Here's a copy of the victim impact statement after it's read aloud in court. And so I can write a story based on those things without being there. Yeah, I mean... is isn't ideal, but... No, but I mean, um, it, it's, that's, also, that's also interesting to me because um, obviously the more connections and sources you have, the better for any journalist on any beat. But... Um, I think it's especially interesting. The courthouse is sort of its own world, its own culture, mm. um, and police as well. Um, and you kind of have a foothold in both. Um, I'm wondering, what's that like? How would you describe those cultures? Well, I, I'll say this about the lawyers. Like, I think, in a way, Calgary's kind of unique. I've heard this in the way that journalists work together from different media outlets, right? Like, I think we're a lot friendlier in Calgary with each other and less cutthroat than in other jurisdictions, maybe. And the same, I would say, goes for lawyers. Like, I've heard that people are pretty open to sort of working together and to being civil. And so um, 
I have great relationships with a lot of the lawyers, um, and even the judges are really great about, they have an appreciation for the role that media plays, and often I feel very welcome in the courtroom, which, as it should be, right? Like, open court principle, we're the eyes and the ears for the public, um, but, you know, we have judges setting on big trials, setting aside um, rows of seating for media, and having meetings with us ahead of the trial to see what we how if we can streamline the exhibit request process and you know so that's I mean those are things I don't think happen everywhere and it's just it's so nice that there's a real appreciation for the role that journalists play in the justice system what do you what kind of insights do you get about the city from covering court what 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 does it tell you if anything I'm going to answer this question in the way I want to answer it. <laughs> I don't know if that's I'm going to that's what you should always you, do. Answer the question yeah, you wish you'd have been asked. Exactly. Um, so I'm really big on this right now. I think about this a lot. Um, the public can be really black and white about crime and people charged with crime, and they can be really hateful towards criminals. I'm doing air quotes, you know, accused people. Um, and I hear a lot of that on Twitter. But I really believe that the more I do this job, the more I realize that most of what's happening is in the gray area, like not the black and white. And people commit crimes for all kinds of different reasons. And sometimes it's poverty, mental illness, loneliness. And I really am trying, especially lately, to um, make sure that some of that comes across so that we don't, we as in journalists, court crime journalists, don't contribute to this sort of culture of everything's black and white, criminals are bad guys, victims are good guys, you know, let's hang everybody that commits a crime. What did you want to do when you went into journalism? Well, maybe I should ask, why did you go into journalism? Um, That's an easy one to answer. My dad is a journalist. And uh, I just always thought he had the coolest job. Like when I was really little, I thought all grownups had to work in an office at a desk. And I saw my dad like driving around, like talking to people all day. And I was like, that's for me. And um, he was pretty great. Like he would take me out of school and take me on assignments with him. Like we drove to Cape, we're from Halifax. We drove to Cape Breton once I remember to talk to um talked to the lawyer for a man who, as a child, had been abused. Um, I think he was in, like, a youth detention center or something, and he had been sexually abused. And, like, I got to go and sit in the room, probably at way too young an age for this. But (laughs) I just, like, I loved that. I just thought it was so fascinating. Again, like, back to the real-life intense, like, I was probably, I don't know, 12 you're not getting those kinds of experiences through junior high school, you know? Um, like another time he took me to a meeting with a KKK member in Halifax. And <laughs> I didn't actually go to that meeting. He actually left me alone in the car, but <laughs> <laughs> I should stop telling these stories. No, please don't. Um, the best, the best though, every um, provincial and federal election, my dad would take me to whatever headquarters he was covering and I'd get to just like you know, pull cables. And I remember standing on the steps of the Lord Nelson Hotel and being on Alexa McDonough lookout so that I could, I think I had his like first cell phone ever, this big block thing. And I, it was 
programmed to call as like camera guy so I could be like get out here she's arrived <laughs> you know so I got to go to all the elections to party headquarters and that was pretty cool so oh, you were working as a journalist to surrogate very early very early <laughs> yeah and so my dad will tell you that the first time I told him I wanted to be a journalist I was five but he didn't want to pressure me so he would like ask at five years intervals so he like checked in again at 10 I'm like yeah still want to do that so your, your dad was uh, a general assignment reporter, or what did, what did uh, he... Yeah, so he at times was general assignment, at times he had beats. So I was born in St. John's, Newfoundland, because my dad was sent there um, to start the St. John's Bureau, um, which was CTV affiliate. He also worked in Fredericton, so we lived there for a little while, and then I mostly grew up in Halifax. Um, and then in Halifax, he... He was uh, the ledge reporter for a while. He specialized in offshore oil and gas reporting, um, dockyard stuff. And uh, he also was part of the I team. So he was an investigative reporter. And this is funny to me because I just remember as a child, um, so he was, they did this big splashy I team CTV, well, it was ATV back then. Um, ad for for their investigative team and it was and it would play all the time right like and everybody watched ctv was like number one forever maybe i think it still is so everybody would see this like all my little schoolhood friends the ad was my dad and his and a camera guy and it was in black and white and they were walking through a basement with a bunch of boxes in it <laughs> and it was like the i team with rick grant <laughs> <laughs> And I'm dying to get my hands on that video. I'd love to find that. Um, yeah, so that was his other, like, beat specialty. He was an investigative reporter for a while. That's amazing. Yeah. But it sounds like he, he covered a whole bunch of different, very diverse subjects. And so did you, what did you think you were going to cover? What did your idea of journalism look like for you? Like, you, you wanted to be a journalist based on what you saw your dad doing, but what did that mean for you? Cover everything? Or... Yeah, so I don't know that I even really thought about it that much until, so I I went and I knew I was going to be a journalist, but I really wanted to go to Bishop's University because I knew people who went there and I was going to be 18 for a whole year of university and, you know, the drinking age is 18 in Quebec. <laughs> so uh, my dad was like, well, you better take a business degree. You're not going, leaving Halifax to take a goddamn arts degree. Is that really how he talks? No, maybe. So I like started out in business as my undergrad, but then obviously like that's not going to work for me. So I did not do well in business. So my undergrad's in sociology, um, and then I did journalism. And I thought maybe like I'll specialize in sort of social justice issues. Maybe I'll you know make documentaries. Um, and then by the end of journalism, I was like maybe I'll do environmental reporting, I say, as I sit here with my Tim Hortons cup. Um, and I really thought, like, I am a very emotional person, and I didn't, I never thought that I would have the stomach for, like, covering court and crime, and, like, the big emotions that go with that, and the traumatic evidence, and the people that you're dealing with. I just thought I wouldn't be able to handle that, and then I loved it. So, Yeah. If you weren't covering crime and courts, uh, what would your second choice for a beat be? Oh, I've thought about this. I can't decide between sports and politics. Is there a difference? Yeah. 
right? Sports is an interesting choice. Why would you? Why would you want to cover sports? Oh, I love sports. I love the stories that come out of sports. You know, like just the human stories and the int- It's another the intensity, right? Slightly lower stakes than than courts. I know. But it's like, well, I guess the stakes aren't that high, but they are like personally for the person involved. You know, like these people dedicate their lives to whatever sport they're involved in, and yeah, there's great stories that come out of sports. I know. I completely agree. I was a sports reporter for years. That's where I started in journalism. Yeah. Um, speaking of starting journalism, since you guest lecture and tell the kids your <laughs> stories about how you started, uh, what what advice would you give? Um, let's say yourself, what would you tell young Megan if she was looking to start a career in journalism? Oh man. (laughs) Well, I feel really lucky because I, you know, I started out in a major market working for a net, like for CBC news world, but I would tell people or I would tell young Megan, like go to a smaller community, like get your feet wet there, like go up North experience Canada's North. Um, I always tell people, you are always going to hear people tell you, like, it's such a bad time for journalism, like, you shouldn't be getting into this. Like, I heard it, I'm sure, you know, decades before me, people were saying it, and I just hate that attitude. Like, there's always going to be a need for journalists and journalism, and of course, it's going to look different over time, but if you have the stomach for the hustle that it requires, (laughs) then you're going to make it. Like, you just have to make it happen. I think that's, I think that's right. I was told the same advice when I was in journalism school, like go to a small town, like everybody wants to go work for the Toronto Star or something, but no, go to a small town, do work at the small town paper and you, you get better experience, you do a whole bunch of different things and it's a good um, proving ground. Uh, I think the problem with that now is that a lot of those papers are closing. I started in Moose Jaw and that paper doesn't exist anymore and Moose Jaw is not that small of a town. That's very true. I guess I... I'm so like CBC by now. Like I've only really ever worked at CBC. I've been here for like 11 and a half years now that when I talk about journalism, like I'm often thinking about like places you can go with CBC. So like I did a month in Iqaluit last year. Um, So when I'm, you know, saying go to a smaller place, it's like I'm thinking about those kinds of places. CBC has amazing opportunities for young journalists in places like that. So get a job with CBC. So that's get a, that's job a with CBC. Do you see yourself covering courts indefinitely, or is there is there a time limit for this? Are there other things you want to do? Maybe will you make the transition to uh, making Grand Sports reporter at some point? Yeah, I don't know. I also often think about this. Like right now, I wake up happy to go to work every day. Like I love my job. So, like you don't mess with a good thing, right? So I'm just doing this as long as I love doing it. Like I said, I've gone from like concentrating on the crime and then like now mostly court coverage. And now I find myself still lots of court coverage, but I also really enjoy like getting into sort of bigger justice issues, you know? Like systemic justice issues? Like systemic justice issues. So um, I can see maybe just sort of evolving the beat and maybe changing the words on my business card to say justice affairs <laughs> that's that sounds like almost two beats like doing actual like court coverage of actual court cases and then like looking at the broader system right. overall that sounds exhausting does it <laughs> okay well megan thank you for doing this you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the show. 
Big thanks to Megan Grant. You can and should read her reporting on CBC Calgary's website and follow her on Twitter at CBC Meg. The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. If you like this show, please feed and water it by sharing it on social media, leaving a review in your podcast app, or checking out the Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca for more details. Thanks for listening.